0: And you're welcome along to the Snap, your American football show here on Off the Ball. No Jared Getroy this week. He's taken cover after Colin Kaepernick made him a bit of an internet sensation last week. Fear not, though. Keen Faye is on the line. Keen, how are things?
1: I'm glad they gave that quote to Jar and not to me because I would have been getting the brunt of that instead.
0: So, do you stand over this misrepresented comment, or have your words been twisted? Top fifteen, top no. sixteen players. Is that, is that what you said?
1: I uh, know, I believe it was off the ball a transcriber too, so I can't call anyone out here. I'll be calling out a teammate over here. No, I, I I, stand by where it was. Like, I've been saying that for a long time. You can't compare Kaepernick to the worst quarterbacks in the league. It doesn't make sense. But the other thing is, the last time Jurr wasn't here, we went after Tom Brady and we turned out to be right. So, yeah, it's a we, good sign that Jor's in here.
0: We picked the Titans to beat the Patriots, if, I've, if I'm not mistaken. So, that was a that was a halcyon day for the snap. Um Okay, and as someone who's had Colin Kaepernick retweet their stuff in the past, what's that like? Do you have to, are you under siege on social media?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it's not, <laughs> I'll put it this way. There are a lot of people who support Colin Kaepernick, a lot of people who are with Colin Kaepernick. Those aren't the ones who are motivated to respond to Colin Kaepernick when he says something. You get a lot of abuse, a lot of laughing emojis, a lot of clown faces. It basically, like once you reach a certain level on Twitter, you have to make use of the advanced filters and just turn off responses from people you don't know. Otherwise, you're just wading through a a, a river of shit every day and it's just not worth it. But from Kaepernick's point of view, it's kind of nice to see that he's still pushing it a little bit because we're a few years on, he very easily could have and probably should have lost his uh, his willingness to keep believing in his his career, believing his career has any chance of being alive. I personally think his career is already over. I think it's been over since the first month he was left out of the league. So for him to keep fighting and him to keep continuing continuing with that and supporting himself is a good thing.
0: Yeah, and the easily accepted narrative, as you touched on last week, was that he was a fading talent and he, it was inevitable that he was going to drop out of the league from a talent point of view. But it is important to remind people that this guy basically took his team to a Super Bowl, has had some brilliant days in the NFL and could still do a job where circumstances are different. His freedom fight goes on, uh, Keen, but there's some posturing elsewhere in the league now with the collective bargaining agreement just in broad terms for people who aren't paying to- close attention to this can you just tell us what the state of play is there
1: well the league is built on like it's a little bit different to uh, the way of the premiership works where sports over here work as far as I know the league is built on an agreement between the players the players union and the owners the people who run the league so it's a collective bargaining agreement and that runs out every couple of years. It's only agreed to a certain, certain, uh, certain distance, a certain amount of years each time. And every single time it comes up, there's all these major contention. There's all these talking points. There's all these arguments, and there's all this threat of a threat of a lockout. And there's been shortened season or at least shortened off seasons in the past. And we've had replacement referees and all sorts of nonsense that makes the game worse and messes the game up. But this year, the real contentious point is. The NFL owners look at Bay- Major League Baseball, that has 140 games a year, or something like that. They look at the hockey that has over 100 games a year, and they look at the NBA that has 82 games a year, and they see their own 16-game schedule, and they are always trying to find ways to expand that. Like they want an 18-game schedule. This time they've tried to put forward to have a 17-game schedule and change the playoffs, an extra team in the playoffs. That means an extra playoff game, or at least an extra playoff game in the round of of the wildcard round. So we have this situation where the owners want nfl players to play more and they want them to, uh, to to have an extra game so they can get the revenue off of those games off of the tv rights off of the tickets at the stadium probably less more, less the tickets at the stadium and more the tv rights because they want to make as much money as possible but then you have the other side of this where we see every single year that these teams are completely broken at the end of a 16 game season like anyone who gets to the super bowl or gets late in the in the playoffs has been very lucky with their health like we saw it with the 49ers We saw it with the Kansas City Chiefs to an extent, even the Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes nearly be lost for the season with a knee injury uh, in Denver during the regular season. So the players are pushing back on this, obviously. They don't want to be having their bodies broken down and beaten up just to earn that extra paycheck. And fortunately, you have someone like Aaron Rodgers speaking out against this because from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, he's a quarterback. He's unlikely to be as damaged as the other guys playing an extra game. He's also someone who has a huge contract. He doesn't have to worry about his money. He doesn't have to worry about his long-term security. And he's come out and said, hey, no, we've got to look after the players in the offseason. We've got to treat players right, health and safety ways. We've got to get the money. is kind of a secondary issue because the money does appear to be going up or at least their share of the money. I think they're getting 48% now or, or something like that of the overall revenue. But when you have the top players coming out and speaking out against this cba already it suggests that it's not going to be agreed to and even though the nflpa have approved it, the nflpa is the players association which is just generally useless so the the big contentious points are the extra game the nfl owners trying to find more 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 ways to make money it's not like they don't monetize the off season as is we just have the combine on right now which has become this uh, event this marketing event rather than an actual combine so it's it's all about money it's all about player safety it's all about who who they're finding the right balance between those two things, and that's why it's a very difficult thing to get resolved.
0: Yeah, I was reading Peter King was making the point that 65% of NFL players earn under $1 million per year, and the average lifespan in the league is about three years. So you're not necessarily set up for life, depending on, on payments and that kind of stuff. So naturally enough, we're hearing from Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and Richard Sherman, but surely the lads at the bottom of the rung, or the bottom rung of the ladder, rather, would be more in favour of playing that extra game and getting increased revenue?
1: Yeah, but the, the other aspect of that is they, 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 the the chance of injury and ending your career before it ever gets started. Because the NFL, NFL players don't have guaranteed contracts. So if you're one of those players at the bottom, you don't have guaranteed money. So if you get injured uh, early in your season or early in your career, you'll walk away with nothing. And your career is then over. Like You don't have anything else to turn to. So you can very easily wind up being poor, even though... You play in the nfl they say hey you've got seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars after taxes probably 400 grand in, in a single year you might then have huge medical bills you might have no uh no prospect job prospects outside of football because the other way this system is set up and the other really major problematic aspect of the system is that players in college aren't paid and players in college are forced to play in college before they can go to the nfl and furthermore they're not represented in the cba negotiations So when the CBA is being discussed, it's current players, and this is why the 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 CBA has a better chance, or a better chance than like if it was just Aaron Rodgers or if it was just the top guys choosing it, because those guys at the bottom are so desperate to get the money that they can get immediately, they will be more likely to vote for it to avoid any potential lockout. The whole thing is a complete shitshow. Really, it's a bit of a complete mess. The Players not being represented in college is a major aspect that needs to change because those guys are going toward the NFL. It's not that they're going somewhere else. If you're playing at a high level in college, you should have a say in what the NFL is happening to try and change the way this is all happening. But this comes back to the NFL and college being tied together where players don't have real careers. They have to play for nothing in college and then go for two years, three years, like you say, in the NFL. Unless you're a top 1% of the top 1% where you get to play a 10-year career, you're not actually getting rich off of football.
0: Mm. Like the compromise would probably be to shorten the preseason, which has become less and less beneficial in recent seasons, and then um, play that extra game in the regular season. But in terms of, and it's a secondary thing, obviously, given the more serious concerns you've been talking about. But the dilution of the playoffs, like we've seen, extra teams been added to it in recent years, another round of games this time. Do you think the playoffs would be weaker for that?
1: Oh, absolutely. The playoffs are already kind of weak. Like we. We enjoyed that Bills Texans game this year in the wildcard round, but we enjoyed it for all the wrong reasons. It was such a bad game of football. It was so poorly played. Like the Texans had to show Moxley, and that was the difference in the end. But the Bills were in the playoffs as a team with a quarterback who wasn't capable of winning that playoff game. You, do you want more of that? Not really. Like you don't really want an extra team. Like uh, I'm not sure who it would have been this year. I think it would have been the Rams in the NFC. And the Rams this year, who aren't anything close to a playoff caliber team, mm. you're not going to have anyone come through from that position and win the Super Bowl. Like you're not going to get the Eli Manning Giants who came from the sixth seed. Like, yeah, it might happen once in twenty or thirty years. But going a further rung down isn't going to add anything beneficial except for an extra game and wildcard weekend, which maybe people want. Which, but I don't think I don't think it's a good thing for the sport. Like part of the reason the NFL is so popular is that scarcity. Having 16 games in a single season means no one rolls their eyes watching uh, the Lakers play the Pelicans or play whoever is terrible right now in the NBA where they don't care about those 20 different regular season games they have because they can get into the playoffs with the other 60 and then the actual playoffs are the only things that actually matter. Like you, you mentioned there the, the preseason as well. That's not really a viable argument because for one, most players who are already on the roster at the end of the year don't play in the third and fourth preseason game anymore anyway. Like, you look at the Bears and the Rams have kind of completely punted those games. And then if you do cut the preseason short, you're taking away guys who are trying to earn jobs. And those are the guys who are really at the bottom rung, the guys who desperately need a contract just to, like, pay their mortgage or rent an apartment or whatever, like, just to survive. These are guys straight out of college who don't have any money. So if they're committing all this time to being on the on the training squad during the off seasons, and then they're not actually getting a chance in August in an actual game they're not going to get a job. That's why the XFL matters, and that's why they hope the XFL succeeds. But the idea of cutting a, a preseason game away also is poor for everyone else involved because you don't want teams to be slow starters. Like There's a reason preseason exists. Yes, you can change how you prepare. You can have these competitive scrimmages that teams are going to know that aren't televised, that aren't for the public eye, but you still need to prepare. So for the player's point of view, even if you cut away at preseason games and you're doing these competitive scrimmages, it's the same wear and tear on your body. It's the same aspect of, Uh, hitting and and taking hits and and playing live football. So all that needs to be kind of torn up and redrawn, and which is something Aaron Rodgers talked about. You need to change the way the off-season is done. He wants more practice, as far as I can tell. Whether that's smarter practice, whether it's safer practice, I don't know. But he wants to change the whole thing, because right now the system doesn't seem to work, and I tend to agree with him.
0: Yeah. Well, one upshot of all these debates around the CBA is that maybe the Sheen or... Certainly the focus has been taken off the combine a little bit and also free agency. Just in terms of the combine, though, has anything caught your eye in the last few days?
1: Well, it's always the 40 time and who's going to be the fastest player. And I think it was Henry Ruggs from Alabama, who went 4-8, I think it was. So they've kind of turned, like, a few years ago, they turned that into an event where the winner got, I think it was 10 grand and a, a sponsorship from Adidas or something like that. And they've done, they, they've kind of made that, it's like the 100 meters at the Olympics. It's the thing everyone tunes in for. And they've turned that into an event and a marketing event. And that's become the focal point, but it really doesn't matter all that much. The Combine is about finding guys who you are previously high on. And if they, like, like if there's, a, let's, as an example, let's say there's an offensive tackle you love and he's dominating every matchup and he's blocking everyone. And he's brilliant in his pass blocking sets and he's run blocking brilliantly. And then he has no reps on a, on a bench press and he's really struggling to move and he did a drills. You then have to go back and go, OK, maybe we don't like value this guy that much because he's not pretty athletic. The problem with the combine when guys are stars or standing out is they train specifically for the combine now. So they're hitting their peak at this time of the offseason. They're not hitting a, a peak where they, they can sustain during the football season. So when you see some of the best athletes in the NFL, guys running away from players in the NFL, they don't always have the top scores of the Combine because at the Combine, they weren't hitting a peak the way that their other competitors were. With that said, Chase Claypool out of Notre Dame has been one of the big stories. And the reason you can be excited about him is he's hitting all the measurement points. He's hitting all his, all his thresholds while also having really impressive tape. Him at Notre Dame really stood out. He was talked about, I think, as a second-round pick and a third-round pick he might be trying to force his way up into that first round, which is interesting because there's already a lot of wide receivers in this draft.
0: Yeah, and your man C.D. Lamb uh, had a bit of a reel catch there. I'm sure people can check it out. Um, we're going to switch to free agency. We've been doing some draft previews in the last couple of weeks, but we'll turn to free agency because that's going to be the big story in the coming days and weeks. Um, we'll start with quarterbacks, as we always do, and Ryan Tannehill, your man, Kane, is, uh, is hot property. What are, you, what are you making of his chances going into free agency?
1: Yeah, he's like, Brian Tannehill is someone I was always very high on in Miami because it felt like he played in offenses that just simply didn't work. They were designed to fail. They invited pressure and they ran receivers into each other rather than running receivers to space. It was like the opposite of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And then he got out on Gates and started to play better and kind of made Adam Gates look good. And before he got injured with an ACL tear when Claes Campbell fell on his knee and then they didn't actually have surgery on an ACL so he came back uh, a year later than he should have. Then he had a shoulder issue, and his shoulder wasn't working, and he couldn't show the deep ball anymore. And it looked like his career was over. But, like, 12 months ago, he was being given away for free by the Dolphins, and the Titans just picked him up as an afterthought in the trade. They didn't take a, a massive pay cut. And now he's entering free agency as, like, if we, if we were judging this on performance and outlook and upside, he would be by far the number one free agent option. But because Tom Brady exists, and Tom Brady has that aura, even at this end of his career, at this late stage of his career, and we talked about this on that previous pod, we talked about where T- Tannehill is probably better than Brady at this point. Because Brady exists, I'm not sure if Tannehill going to get that huge money that he deserves. And so I went to the, this week I, I kind of focused on him and went through all of his snaps and all of his throws, And I went through it with expecting Tannehill to play well. And then kind of as I watched more and more, I kind of was thinking to myself, yeah, he played well. He played better than I thought he played. He played to a level that was kind of ridiculous. He was making throws four and five and six times a game that most quarterbacks will make three or four times in the whole season. So the level that he's at, and he's kind of hit his prime, and he's physically healthy, and everything's there. He's got all the tools. And he still hasn't played in a great offense. Like, A.J. Brown broke out for the Titans last year, but he broke out as an after-the-catch receiver, as someone who doesn't have a great catch radius, isn't a great route runner. He's an above-average route runner, drops too many passes as well. So it's not like he was playing with great players in Tennessee. So if you take him and drop him into a different offense, you could get a very, very good quarterback and a very, very productive quarterback, and that's a franchise-changing thing. So. I think Tannehill should be a huge storyline, he should be a focal point for lots and lots of teams, I just think more of them are going to be distracted by the Tom Bradys and even James Winston who for some reason is held in a higher regard by NFL people than a guy like Tannehill who's played much better throughout his whole career.
0: Yeah, I think bizarrely in the NFL the words like efficient and functional are used as negative terms uh, around quarterbacks. Where do you think he's going to end up? I know there's talk Tom Brady might go to the Titans if he's going to leave New England, how do you think a tunnel would fit in a Bill Belichick offense?
1: Yeah, that's the that's the, you're, you're on the same page as me here because that's something I've been thinking about. Because if the Patriots are as comfortable with Brady leaving as everything seems to suggest they are, we have to look at where they're going to go. It's not going to be Jared Siddham. That's like he was drafted last year, but he obviously didn't look anything close to ready. They're not in position to draft anyone, as far as I can tell. And as Roger Goodell said this week, the punishment for they're spying on the Cincinnati Bengals is going to come out soon, and that could take away their dr- top draft pick. So they can't bank on drafting anyone. They have Brian Hoyer, I think, on the roster. Like, that's not going to be the answer. So they're going to have to look at the free agency or a trade, possibly, with somebody. So what are your options here? You're talking Philip Rivers? No, I can't see them tra- swapping out one old qu- quarterback for another old quarterback. Uh Maybe trade for Matthew Stafford? Possibly. I don't, I don't know what Bill Belichick would see in that. I don't think Stafford is the type of quarterback he would ever go after. Then you look at Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater m- makes a lot of sense, makes a lot of sense for everyone. But most teams have never been that high on Teddy Bridgewater, and I'm not sure if Belichick's going to be any different. So Tannehill actually kind of makes a lot of sense. And the other aspect of this is no matter how much you want to criticize Tannehill or talk about what Tannehill can't do, he he has very clear and undeniable qualities in that he's very athletic he has a huge arm he can hit deep balls and he's very accurate on short and intermediate throws so the question marks over him would be uh how does he diagnose coverages is he able to drop back and play from play from behind the down distance and make reads constantly and, and play big and clutch moments those are questions that i have but they are the general questions that the wider nfl audience has so even if you have those question marks you put him at bill belichick bill belichick can still make that work he, he's proven in the past he, he's done it with when Brady has been injured and when Brady's been suspended, that he can make it work with a quarterback who has a lesser skill set. So Tannehill as a fit there makes a lot of sense because you're going to a coach who will know exactly what to do with you and you're going to a coach and you're offering him a skill set that his last quarterback didn't have anymore. So it's going to be a very different type of offense that will allow Belichick to build in the with Josh McDaniels there as well, who has been known for building offenses for quarterbacks, even though he hasn't really done that many times in his career.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned a couple of the other free agent options. Jameis Winston's there as well. Dak Prescott in his own way. Looks like he's probably going to be franchise tagged, but that, that contract wrangle is going, to, is going to run and run, I think. We move on to the running backs now. And I remember when Derrick Henry ran right against the Kansas City Chiefs, and we were talking about him getting a new deal. You weren't necessarily buying into that, and then he went and his form improved even more into the playoffs. Where do you, where do you think the Titans stand on him now? Do you think they're going to sign him to a long term deal, franchise tag him, or just cut him loose?
1: Well, quickly on Dak, there, just because you mentioned him, I don't think there's any way of him leaving. That's why I didn't talk about him. But I also think that's a crucial detail because as we'll get to wide receivers and Mari Cooper, there's going to be a knock on effect there with Dak and the Cowboys and how they spend their money. But yeah, Derrick Henry, like, Derrick Henry to the Titans probably has huge value because they see him as the focal point of their offense and the centerpiece of their offense. But you have to think if the Titans are being connected with Brady, Derrick Henry doesn't really fit. Like, you're not going to have Tom Brady play under centre. Like, that's one thing I noticed as well with Brian Tannehill charting him. He's under centre, executing difficult play fakes a lot. A huge percent of the time. Him and Jared Goff, Sean McVay's offence, and probably Garoppolo with Kyle Shanahan, those are probably the top in the league last year in terms of playing under centre and executing uh, deep handoffs, difficult handoffs that require athleticism to move around the field. So, I can't see Tom Brady coming in and doing that with Derrick Henry. So, if you do go after Brady or go after Rivers or someone like that, you're not going to have a, a complementary pieces there at quarterback and running back if you re-sign Henry as well. But I do think the Titans are going to re-sign Henry, and I think they're probably going to overpay him before he hits free agency to try and make sure they keep him. It just feels like that's the type of team they are, and it doesn't feel like they're desperately trying to keep Tannehill. It feels more like they're focusing on Henry. I don't think he's going to be worth it. I don't think he's got good value. I've kind of been consistent on this. I also think if you look into free agency a guy like Kenyon drake who you can get for probably one-fifth the price one-sixth the price is going to be better value when he went to arizona this year he had a big impact and he looked at quality starter yeah you can talk about him in, in terms of durability and in terms of how much he's going to be used between the tackles but when you saw lamar miller leave miami he became a a really quality running back for the houston texans and i think Kenyon drake has followed the exact same path as that where he's the exact opposite of henry he's a smaller guy great in the passing game, great uh, versatility as a runner, very smart runner, very explosive, very elusive, but it's not really going to break many tackles. He's powerful. But he's more powerful than he looks, but like, that's only because he's small. It's not because he's particularly powerful.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Drake and Miller there. Melvin Gordon, who had his own little ructions during the season there, was holding out for a contract that he didn't get, so he's available. Carlos Hyde is a perennial free agent, it feels like, and then Jordan Howard is there as well. There's a few others. Before we move on to wide receivers and tight ends, just a reminder that American football on/off the ball is brought to you in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic, Navy versus Notre Dame at the Aviva Stadium on August 29th. Check out collegefootballireland.com for game tickets and more. You already mentioned Amari Cooper there, Keen. Is he the pick of the available wide receivers? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Uh, I, I think like you can focus on the drops. You can focus on some of the injury issues he's had as well. Well, you're kind of missing the point with Amari Cooper. He's uncoverable. He can beat the best cornerbacks in the league. He can make big plays after the catch. He adjusts at the catch point. He runs incredibly good routes. He's so explosive. You've seen when he gets the opportunities to run different routes and run over a very route tree, he's impossible to stop. One of the problems for Cooper is he's played for different offensive coordinators throughout his career, and none of them have really set him up to be, uh, to be the best he could possibly be, maybe with the exception of Kellen Moore this year. And then there was... Different issues there where Cooper wasn't fully fit and he had a couple of bad drops last year that kind of curtailed his numbers a bit. But overall, as a talent, Cooper has to get top money. He's got to be the the primary guy. The problem with Cooper is getting that value because he is going to command a huge price and he's not Odell Beckham. Like While I can sing his praises as much as possible, there's an undeniable gulf between him and the very, very top receivers in the league. So you have to turn that into a guy like A.J. Green. The only knock against A.J. Green is he's coming off an injury hit season and he's old, he's 32. So in Amari Cooper, you're getting guy in his prime, but you're probably going to overpay a little bit. In A.J. Green, you're probably going to get better value for the next two or three years. You're going to get a top-tier receiver who doesn't have a long-term upside. He will still probably have five or six years in his career, but it's not going to be a uh, dominant five years. He's going to be dominant maybe this year and next year, and then after that he's going to drop off a little bit. The guy who I kind of like from this group who – is a little bit under the radar is robbie anderson from the new york jets anderson has never had good service he's never played in a functional offense he's had sam darnold brian fitzpatrick and a, a random different quarterbacks Josh McCown throwing him passes over the years so you have you you have to take his numbers in uh context of his, of his overall situation and he's a vertical receiver who runs very good routes who isn't necessarily a burner he's not a he's not tyree kale he's not the sean jackson but he's fast enough to take advantage when he sets the defensive backs up early in his routes, which he does very well does very consistently. And he also has a good catcher at So if you're looking for someone just to add to your offense, you've already got uh, quality players there, you look you look at him. If you're looking for a short-term guy to boost your offense and kind of put you over the top this year, you're looking at AJ Green. And then if you just want a star and you want to pay top money for it, it's Mary Cooper.
0: Yeah, and before we get to the best of the rest in this free agency, like Emmanuel Sanders is there and you see the kind of impact he has. I think... As a locker room guy, as much as a player, you know he's very talented, but he seems to have good, bring good culture wherever he goes. And then quickly, Keen, just Prashad Perryman, who I know as a Ravens fan, came in with high hopes on paper. He looked like a star, but it never quite worked out for him there. He's done some notable things. He was decent with the Browns, good with the Bucks. So is he someone that a lot of teams are going to be looking at?
1: Well, we can come full circle a little bit here because Prashad Perryman came out of college as... Uh, a great athlete and a guy who was like, uh, I don't know how his combine went, but I know physically he, his selling points were that he is this big guy who can run fast, who has all the agility, all the flexibility, all the jumping ability, can do anything you want. And then he went to Baltimore and just dropped every single pass that came his way. And <clears throat> look, he played with Joe Flacco at the time. The Ravens as a, as a franchise weren't necessarily on the, on the rise they're on at the moment. They weren't, there wasn't that good feeling about them where you expect young players to develop now. You expect Miles Boykin and Marquise Brown to get better just because of the culture that's there. So he didn't grow. And weirdly enough, or weirdly enough, he wound up in Cleveland and suddenly had this great spell with the Browns where he was catching everything. And he was just deep shot with Baker Mayfield in his rookie season, making lots of plays. And the Browns actually wanted to re-sign him. But they, and I actually agreed to re-sign him with him. But Drew Rosenhaus, who is uh, his agent, is also Odell Beckham's agent. So once they made the Odell Beckham trade, Rosenhaus made a deal with the Browns and said, I want to get him... I want to get Bershad Perryman to a place where he can prove himself and play. And this is a long story just to get to the point of he arrived in Tampa Bay this year as on a prove-it deal, and he proved himself. He was like, if you're only talking about last year's performances and you're not talking about overall career and overall perception and reception, the quality of Bershad Perryman's play last year was probably top two or three in the league in terms of wide receivers. He was ridiculously good. And he was a a huge part in carrying Jameis Winston to those big numbers that he had. Like he was, he outshone Mike Evans on that field. He outshone OJ Howard, who was a tight end, but basically plays a wide receiver. He outshone everyone on that field. Like Chris Godwin, who gets all the celebration from everyone, because he's an emerging star in Tampa Bay, wasn't as good as Brashad Perryman last year. The problem is the sample size isn't there. And a guy who has dropped the ball a lot is also always very hard to trust. So I don't think he gets a a one-year prove-it deal this year. I think a team invests a little bit more into him and rewards him for his recent good play. And I actually think there's a good chance of him being uh, a quality pickup because there are guys over the history of the league who came in in as bad pass catchers, who struggled with their technique and fixed it and got better. Nate Washington is one who stands out to me just because when he entered the Steelers, he was just this vertical sprinter who dropped the ball all the time. He played in in a Steelers offense that didn't throw the ball that much under Bruce Arians. And they, they needed him just to stretch the field with Hines Ward and said Tony Holmes caught all the passes. And Washington then developed under Arians and became this very reliable, high-quality receiver in Tennessee. Never had a huge career, was just a, a solid, uh, strong contributor, uh, very very good starter, never became a star, but was a very valuable piece. So I think that's the kind of what Perryman is looking at. Maybe that's not what they expected when, when he came out of the draft because of all the physical attributes, but now it's going to work out for him. He can be just a good NFL player.
0: Yeah, and just lastly, on the defensive and O-line selections here, like there's just the depth is crazy, so we can't really cover everything. We'd be here all day. But like just names that jump off the page, Chris Jones would probably get tagged by the Chiefs, you, you imagine. Yeah. But then Jadavian Clowney's there. You know, Kyle wynne there. Everson Griffin we talked about last week. Matthew Judon, we talked about the Ravens a lot on this show, and they're still in that Lamar Jackson sweet spot where they've got a lot of cap space and stuff, given his small contract, quote-unquote. So... Like, what do you think, what are you looking at just in terms of all the other available players? Who else jumps out at you?
1: Uh, like you said, there's so many to choose from. Like Chris Jones has gone, he got franchise tagged yesterday. So he's he's off the he's off the uh, options. But like, I, just, I haven't listed him here because there are so many options. I don't really want to talk about one specific guy, Clowney. A very good run, run defender, good enough pass, pass rusher, will get more money than he probably is worth. But he's a very, very good player and he makes a massive difference to your team and he changes up. Seattle probably won't let him leave. If you look at Eric Armstead, crazy athleticism broke out last year when he played in the interior a lot more for San Francisco, was actually one of the stars of that Super Bowl outside of Nick Bosa and Chris Jones and Mahomes, obviously. But he had a huge game in the Super Bowl, which should help him make a lot of money. Uh, Matt Judon, you mentioned, Judon is more of a well-rounded player. He's not a superstar pass rusher. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Baltimore let him go and drafted someone else to to replace as an edge rusher and kind of... Continue to build their second, or their front seven, even though they have money. Uh, Anthony Harris, a Viking safety, took over for Anderson. They beat out Georgia Loka, a hard hitter, well-rounded, good good range, can play free safety, can play strong safety. He'll get a good contract. Justin Simmons, same thing from Denver. Chris Harris, slot cornerback, who has been a superstar in this league for a while. He'll get big money, no matter where he goes, and probably a shorter deal. James Bradbury, long physical corner from Carolina, who has massive upside. Has never really broken out. Has had fits and starts leonard williams didn't have a great career and with the jets was traded to the giants last year is an interior disruptor can play off the edge a little bit as well huge amount of talent has never put out all of his performances together where he finds winds up next could be huge for him uh bradley Roby has already told the texans he's going to leave he's a, a high quality cornerback should get a good deal should be a quality starter somewhere uh tony jefferson injured last year made a lot of mistakes in baltimore but has a long career of being a proven veteran safety Andrew Billings, a disruptive defensive tackle coming off of Cincinnati. Jimmy Smith, another quality cornerback coming off of Baltimore. So we can go on and on and on forever. And you mentioned Kyle Van Noy there. I think Kyle Van Noy is a very interesting one because he was uh, at Boston, Detroit, and he found his fit in New England perfectly. So New England are always kind of the team to watch when it comes to free agents like this. So you can very you can very much see very much see Bill Belichick rebuilding his offense a lot this year and his defense a lot this year because of the amount of depth of talent that's out there. This is a, a really interesting offseason, a really good free agency class, and a draft that's shaping up to be really good too. So we could have a lot of changes in the NFL this year.
0: Yeah, you no you're spot on, it's an excellent free agency, equally so in the draft. So we're gonna keep across that in the coming weeks. That'll do it for for today though, Keen. Thanks for thanks for calling in.
1: You think we covered enough players?
0: That's I think we named Ballpark forty fifty 50 forty fifty, Yeah. No, it was good. I think people, people will be happy with that coverage. <laughs> nice one, Kate. we we'll
1: just read off the list of players from now on. It'll be Listen,
0: great. Brian Tannehill all, all the way, all right?
1: <laughs> Go on.
0: Cheers, man. Right, that's uh, Cian Fahey there off the Bulls, NFL analyst. That's all for this week. Uh, thanks to producer Enda and John O'Donnell for putting the show together. We'll be back next week.